Thank you, that was unexpected. <laughs> um, yeah, so I, I thought I'd share just a little bit about how Hillary and I, um, I don't know if you've met her, and, and our two kids came to be a part of TCC. A um, bit of our background. Uh, uh, it's coming up with Thanksgiving and the holidays here, so a lot of people are kind of thinking all, all about family and, and what that is and, and stuff. And um, that kind of, I was thinking about that this week, and it, it reminded me of, of our journey to TCC. Um, uh, so yeah, a bit of background about ourselves. We uh, were married in 2009, and our first year of marriage, we moved down to Faribault, Minnesota, and we attended a, a small church down there, and it was it was a nice church. Um, it it did push for small groups, which we were happy about. We we like that sense of community and and closeness with the other individuals in the church. Um, but we had to move uh, away for jobs very shortly after, and so um, we didn't really get have time to get to know people there. And so in our second year of marriage, we were down in Iowa, um, another small town there, and that was a, a bit of a different culture, especially for me who had had not grown up in the um, in the kind of Christian culture because it, it was a small farming community, which I was used to, uh, but it was a very... Um, uh, reform, Christian Reformed uh, centered. It seemed like everybody in the town was a, a part of the church and, and I wasn't used to that. Um, and so there's a, we, we lived there for th over three years and a few things we noted while we were there. Um, let's see. Uh, so th yeah, it was we attended a large church and it was a very large family kind of town. Everybody lived there, stayed there their whole lives and their families stayed with them. And so that was true within the church as well. There was all these big families and, and it was kind of hard to break into relationships with people because everybody was with their family all the time and, and for somebody who was an outsider, it was really hard to kind of get to know people. Um, and, and so even after three years, over three years of being there, we were in a Bible study with a few other couples um, and we still felt like we were just acquaintances with these couples. Um, and it was, but there there were good moments too. Um, don't get me wrong. And there was nothing wrong with the church as a whole. But um, we just felt like we needed something more relationally with the with the members of the church. Um, and it was interesting. We were going through a period of infertility as well uh, during that time, where we were really desiring a child, and God was not granting that to us. And there was another couple within our four couple big Bible study who was also experienced infertility and it and you'd think that would you know a shared experience would draw us together and and we still never even connected on that plane it was um, and so that that's kind of where we were coming from and after that period we towards the end of our time in Iowa we went on a mission trip because we had both thought been thinking in the past of maybe being a part of missions in our future, and so we went on a six-week trip to Mozambique, um, and there we, Hillary did some teaching, I did some stuff with music, and just kind of tested out the mission's waters, and, and after that, we kind of um, felt from God that, you know, missions is in our future, but perhaps it was at home, um, and so that, that's kind of where we left that, and so from there, we moved up to the Twin Cities, um, and and Hillary started pursuing some teaching stuff and 
and we stumbled upon TCC, Twin Cities Church, and, um, and what initially attracted us to TCC after this period of time in Iowa was um, the house churches. They were set up like families, and, and that to us was something we really needed and, and desired, that close relationship. Um, we felt like we had a place to belong, um, like it, it was a family in that you could tell these were real people. Sometimes things were a little messy. Um, people weren't always presenting this perfect um, front of themselves. And, and so it, it was a safe place for us to learn and grow. Um, so we liked that. Um, what we continued to observe as we have been a part of TCC and a house church is that house churches also, besides being a family, they don't just sweep sin under the rug. Um, and that was another thing we had observed in, in previous experiences is um, people kind of hiding their sin. But TCC is like, no, we, we deal with it. And, and it's not only just dealt with, it's dealt with in a loving manner. And so um, we've, we've definitely seen that in our lives and in the lives of the other members in our house church. Um, and it wasn't just a place to belong, but it, the, the role of the house church was explained to us as it fit into the context of the mission of God. And so it wasn't just, you know, family, and, and that's kind of what attracted us initially, but it evolved into, hey, we have a place not only here in, in this community, but in God's mission um, advancing the kingdom of the gospel. And that was kind of new to me. And, I, and so, so I really appreciated that. So I guess what I'd like to communicate to you all um, if you haven't checked out a house church yet or on the fence, um, you, I'd like you to consider it because for us, Hillary and I, our family, and for many, um, house churches are an opportunity to be challenged in a personal relationship with God, um, but also a place for growth in the gospel, a place to be used by God in the lives of others and not just ourselves. And, and we've definitely experienced that within our fam house church family. Um, and it's also a, a chance to join God in his mission in the world, um, redeeming that which desperately needs to be redeemed. So thank you. Thanks, Mark. Yeah, if you don't know Mark and Hillary Furman, you should. They are a real blessing to us and to the church. And just thinking, how many years has it been now, Mark and Hillary, that you guys have been in Twin Cities Church? Four years now. It's great, and, and I think their, their story is really almost all of our story is, is a very similar one of experiencing the Spirit at work and seeing, seeing Him work within our lives, within the lives of others, and, and really feeling that calling and purpose in life that comes from that. Well, let me pray, and I'll invite up Deirdre and George for the preaching of the Word. Heavenly Father, Lord, we just thank you for your love and mercy. Lord, we thank you that you are at work in our lives, that you are at work in the church, that you are at work in this world. And Lord, we thank you that you have called us to participate in that work. Lord, strengthen us. Help us, uh, Lord, as we are the family of God, as we, as we strive to walk in a manner worthy of our calling, as we, as we are eager to do the work that you have called us to do. Uh, Lord, open our hearts and our minds this morning to your word and strengthen us. In your name, amen. Today's passage that we're going to be studying is Titus 3, 12 through 15. And it says, when I send Artemis or Tychicus to you, do your best to come to me at Nicopolis, for I've decided to spend the winter there. 
Do your best to speed Zenos the lawyer and Apollos on their way. See that they lack nothing. And let our people learn to devote themselves to good works so as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. All who are with me send greetings to you. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. Thanks, Deirdre. And thank you, Mark, for that very thoughtful summary. I really appreciated that. As I was preparing for the message this week, I thought of a conversation that I had with a, a history professor. This is a, probably would have been 12 years ago. And he was a, a, a brilliant man, written books, um, and uh, in his 60s and had taught for years and uh, was considered a, an expert and specialist in his field. And um, I asked him uh, in a, in a, toward the end of my time there at school, and, and uh, we had developed a friendship, and I asked him uh, what motivated him. He wasn't, uh, wasn't a, a believer and said that he was a secular humanist that was also a Unitarian. But um, I asked, asked him what motivated him to keep going in his work. What, uh, what inspired him to, to study and to teach and to write and to be diligent in his work. And and he said, well, you, he said, well, over the course of the classes that you've taken with me, he said, you should have observed my so-called axes to grind, uh, sexism, racism, the poor, uh, which were definitely observable. Um, but his comment on racism is, is what I remembered, um, probably because a lot of our own circumstances in our country and the, the challenges that we face in that here in America um, and he made a comment about about racism and, and efforts to stop it. And even then, and I don't, we didn't have the kind of uh, tumult and conflict that we are experiencing right now. But obviously, racism has been a, a part of the human experience uh, that has uh, brought destruction uh, to to people and to communities, to civilizations for millennia. And um, I made a comment to him, and I'm not sure it was an appropriate comment, but I said something like, um, well, that doesn't seem to be getting better. You know, kind of, you know, I, I've actually, I, was, I started thinking about it as, I, as it came to my mind in preparing for this message. I'm not sure it was an entirely appropriate comment, because I basically said um, that his, his work would not bring the results that he was hoping for. Um, and I could tell he was kind of startled by that. Um, but it's essential, I think, for the human experience to have a sense that our, our work is going to lead to something that lasts. And that was what I was trying to get from him um, what, what did he see that he would leave that lasts? Um, and even, you know, all of these various things that we can become active in um, and, and, and work towards that are definitely needs and, and, and challenges of our culture, there's no guarantee that our efforts 
are going to have the intended results that we hope for and that they will, that they will last and they have meaning um, beyond our own time. See, because we can, we can do good works, but do our good works end up just being for our own selves? Like, do we engage in helping others because we feel a need inside of us that needs to be appeased? And so we, we use the people around us in order to appease that need for ourselves. Um, and again, we can do good works, but are they going to endure? Are they going to last? Are we going to have fruit that the Bible considers fruit, fruit that lasts? Fruit that Christ can take and cleanse and redeem uh, and, and show, because it, he says it, when, we, when, we, when we stand before God, our, our, our enduring works will be uh, put through the fire and, and cleansed. They'll either, our, our works are either going to amount to nothing and everything's going to be burned up, this is 1 Corinthians 13, or they are going to be cleansed and purified and, and they were going to be shown to all creation as lasting, enduring works that Christ has wrought through us. And I think it's, 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 it's critical that we have that sense that what we're doing means something. It means something. And so we're, gonna, we're concluding Titus today. Um, and as, we're, as we'll see, it, it, he's going to continue this theme of, of we as the people of God being devoted to good works. And he, we've seen this, this uh, encouragement, this command, strewn throughout, strewn throughout the entire book. And we're gonna, I'm going to do a little summary. We've only got four verses today. Um, but I'm gonna, we're going to do a little summary at the end of the sermon to show just in all of the different ways how he has talked about the need for us to be engaged in, in good works. And so here we have a conclusion. Now, oftentimes we read these conclusions. They don't seem to be full of great uh, theological content, uh, but they are actually essential to understand some of the, the relational dynamics that were present um, in, in, in the Paul's team and in the networks of churches that they were going after. So we're going to get into this. I'm going to pray real quick here, seek the Lord's help as we, uh, as we jump into this text. Lord God, we do desire um, our works to last. We desire to engage in work that we know will have an effect that is lasting beyond our own lives. Uh, we do not want to spend our lives in, in trifle things, wasting time and wasting resources. So God, as we look at the conclusion of this uh, beautiful short book of Titus, um, and the good works that, that you are encouraging us to do through Paul in this letter. God, our, our prayer is that you would impress upon us as a church the riches of Jesus Christ that has been lavished, that have been lavished upon us, uh, and that we have the resources of heaven, uh, resources of, of time and of energy and financial resources and capital resources and human resources and social re all these things, Lord God, that you have given to us through the gospel and the Holy Spirit, through Jesus Christ. So I pray, God, that you would um, help us to see the abundance that you have given to us and that we could indeed uh, be zealous and ready for good deeds as you have commanded because, because of our grasp and experience of your great love 
and riches toward us. God, I pray that you would help me communicate clearly this morning and uh, that it would bring love and unity to us as a church and honor and glory to you. In Christ's name, amen. All right, so just real quick, I mean, it's not hard to kind of pick up on where things are at. Um, you have Titus, who's in Crete, and Zenos and Apollos were most likely the, the guys that delivered the letter to Titus, because they're there. Um, and he's saying, stay there in Crete, do this work, set in order what remains, appoint elders, uh, teach sound doctrine, urge them to be uh, zealous and ready for good works in their families, in the church, and in the world. Um, but I'm going to send Artemis or Tychicus to you, okay? I haven't decided which one, but I'm going to send one of them. And when that person gets there, I want you to join me in Nicopolis, probably for the same type of work that they were doing in Crete, some evangelistic effort throughout the, the cities and towns around Nicopolis, which is a city in, in western uh, Greece. All right, so... I'm sending some folks to you. Leave and come back to me when they get there. Uh, do your best to send off uh, Zenos the lawyer and Apollos. So for some reason, uh, Crete was known for uh, being a place that attracted a lot of lawyers, those who were involved in the law. I don't know if it's because there were just a lot of criminals there, um, but because of their fact that they were evil beasts and lazy gluttons and liars, it seemed to be a, a, a rather uh, challenging place from a, from a moral standpoint. But anyway, so it was a team of people that were probably there um, delivering the letter. Zenos probably had some professional um, things to take care of. Apollos is a preacher that, that joined his team once Apollos and Paul met each other in Corinth. And he tells them, he tells Titus, do your best uh, to speed Zenos and Apollos and see that they lack nothing. See that they lack nothing. And so it's here where we see another encouragement for the people of God to devote themselves to good works. As he says this, let our people, so it's in the context of sending off this team. All right, so here we see a context where the meeting of pressing needs and the engaging in good works is in the context of the support needed for this team. Let our people learn to devote themselves to good works so as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. So I just want this is, to, this is like the, the, the only command in this passage. So we're just going to break this down a little bit here. Let our people learn. Let our people learn. Here's what I like about this. Our people. Our people, those of us who call themselves Christians, those of us who would associate themselves with each other because of the common call in the gospel, it is a, we are a thing. We are a people. He says, let our people learn. And the idea here is that being devoted to pressing needs is not something that we automatically do. Right? There, are, there are some people that have the gift of generosity. Okay, Paul mentions that in some of the lists that he gives throughout the scriptures in terms of giftedness. There, there are some people who are just naturally drawn to generosity. But most of us are not naturally drawn to generosity. We must learn it. We must learn it. We must learn it by being taught. 
We must learn it with some examples around us. And Paul had earlier told Titus to show yourself an, an example. Right? And not the least of which, we need to learn how the, how the gospel um, orients us to giving. And the big idea is that our works don't save us. We are in desperate need. God, through his works, through Jesus Christ, washed us, renewed us, regenerated us in order that we may then be able to meet the pressing needs. So our ability to meet pressing needs is a response to the gospel. Our, our ability to, to engage in good works is a response to the gospel. We see what God has poured out through Christ toward us and the more we know the gospel and the more that we have experienced the grace of God in our lives through the Holy Spirit, through the word, through each other, the, the more love and grace wells up inside of us and we've got to give it away. We're not, it's not something that we're compelled to do out of guilt or shame. It's something that we're compelled to do out of love and out of this outpouring of generosity that we've experienced by God. So that's what it means, that's what it means to learn, to learn, to learn to devote themselves to good works. So devotion means that it's a, a part of what we are committed to on a consistent basis. We are to be a people, we, our people need to be devoted, all of us, not just those that are exceptional givers, whether it's in terms of money or time or resources, pressing needs is this whole big pile of stuff. When there's a need that needs to be met, we as a people are devoted to it as a people. And this idea of good works is, is it could be occupations, it could be paid, it could be unpaid. It is just a really broad general term. Um, and, it, and it's good works in terms of healthy there's a lot of things that we could do that aren't healthy and don't contribute to anybody. But he says, engage in those good works, those good works that help cases of urgent need, that help cases of urgent need. The idea of urgent need is that they are immediate, they are pressing, and they are compelling. You can't look at them and just kind of walk away. You immediately see, hey, here's something that needs to be addressed and that we, as a people, need to address it. And not be unfruitful. So the idea of fruit, and Jesus talks the most about this, I would say, in the Gospels, on what fruit is, especially in the Gospel of John. Fruit is something that emerges as a product of God's work in us through prayer through obeying God's commands, through abiding in his word, through loving one another. And then all of that work creates fruit. And fruit, from a biblical standpoint, is lasting. It's not going to go away. It's going to result in the lives of people, lives that have been changed for eternity, lives that, that will also then sprout more fruit through them. That's what fruit is. Paul wants us to be a people who increasingly are, are multiplying in our effectiveness in seeing grace grow in, in the lives of others. So that's the command. Let our people learn to devote themselves to good works, to help cases of urgent need, 
and not be unfruitful. So again, this, the context of this instruction is in this conclusion where he's encouraging the churches in Crete. He's, he's, encouraged, he's teaching and he's, he's commanding Titus, but Titus is in this sphere of churches in Crete. And he's essentially telling Titus to gather the churches around to, to make sure that Zenos and Apollos have what they need. And, he, and he's um, bringing them into the sphere of, of his ministry team, of Paul's ministry team. That the network of churches is not alone. Local churches are not alone. We are a part of, and this is one of the reasons why we wanted to, to when, we, when we first started and structured Twin Cities Church, um, we are a network of local churches. We are a family of families. And so we can understand this idea of a, of a network of churches because we have a network of house churches. We are devoted to our house churches and to the relationships, but we don't see ourselves as independent all right? We see ourselves as also committed to the other house churches and the needs of those house churches. When a need pops up in our church, the house church is the first place where the need is to be addressed. If the house church cannot meet that, that immediate or pressing need, then it goes to the other house churches. All right? Then it goes to the whole church. And so this idea that we are a, a, an entity... Okay, we are an entity, we are a local church, but we are not alone, and we have connections and are responsible for the welfare of other churches, and for the the ministry teams that strengthen um, and encourage and support and equip these churches and these network of churches, and so a network of churches is always the local churches and the ministry teams that make them up, Okay. So we are a part, for example, of, of the Acts 29 network of churches. It's not a denomination. It's a network. There are about a half a dozen churches here uh, in the Twin Cities that are Acts 29, and we have a network meeting once a quarter, and, and the pastors know one another. And we haven't had, and this is something that we're praying for, we haven't had as much cooperative activity as I think that we could have, but it is a, a network of churches, and we have participated in some things together as networks, particularly in supporting church plants uh, around the world. But we are also connected to other networks, and I'm going to get into that here in a, a moment and some things that we do. But a network of churches is always the churches and the teams of leaders that are responsible to equip and shepherd and strengthen and expand those networks of churches. Now, what are the cases? I wanted to just talk a little bit about what are the cases of urgent needs um, that come up in, in, the, in gospel settings when these networks of churches are connected. The first one, the first big need, is obviously the gospel, okay? Apollos is a preacher, Zenos is a lawyer, they're somehow connected to, to Paul's team, and they are carrying out important work on behalf of Paul for the churches in Crete, all right, and for the rest of the network as they, as they continue to serve Paul. And so, uh, as Paul said in chapter 1, I am a servant of God and a messenger of Jesus Christ for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth. And so the biggest pressing need 
is always the gospel. And so these teams are responsible to equip, to, to evangelize and preach the gospel into places that don't have it. And then they are responsible to set in order what remains, which is what Titus is doing here on the island of Crete with all these churches. Appoint leadership, teach sound doctrine, be a good example. Right? There's, a, there's a foundation that needs to be laid. And then there's ongoing work between these churches. And so the gospel is always a pressing need, and support of that is always needed. The second thing, you can see this in this passage, travel expenses. Travel expenses are a pressing need. Zenos and Apollos need help to get from where they're at back to Paul. It's the travel expenses. That's what he says. That's what he means when he says, see that they lack nothing. And probably also some support for Paul once they catch up with him again. The third thing, facilities. Two places in Acts specifically talk about Paul renting out facilities for the preaching and teaching of the gospel. In Acts 19, Paul is in Ephesus. He said that he, it says that he rented out the hall of Tyrannus for a little over two years as he argued with the Jews and presented the gospel. And all of Asia heard, all of Asia heard the gospel because of that ministry in that one school, that one hall. So people would come, they'd hear the gospel, and they'd go back. And that's how the church in Colossae was started, and the church in Hierapolis, and the church in Laodicea. So these rented facilities are important. It says in Acts 28 that Paul was in, in Rome for an extended period of time in a rented house, preaching the gospel. He was in, under house arrest, but people would come to him. People would come to him and he'd preach the gospel. So facilities. There are medical needs that pop up in these networks of churches. I can think of a specific example where uh, a network partner, this was years ago with a different church, a network partner, um, there, his daughter was born with some significant deformities in her legs. And it was going to require, and they were from Nigeria, and it was going to require uh, extensive surgery. So the network of churches around uh, that family and that church uh, pulled together and saw to the, the medical needs of that family. I mean, the list could go on. One of the things that I observed in this last, uh, last month, in, or two months ago in Mozambique, was poverty as a consequence of systemic persecution. There's a, we, when, 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 there's always need. There's always need um, when you travel to developing countries. And, and there's a, a lot of resources out in the last two decades on where um, just a pure, pure donations or pure financial gifts um, end up creating more problems than they solve. And so there's always this, this challenge to be wise when you are giving and meeting needs in developing contexts. And so... Um, you know, when, when, we, when, I, when we went to Mozambique, Antonio and I, and we're both, you know, he's from Portugal, I'm from America, there's, you know, we're from places where uh, the standard of living is much higher. And there's, there's always this, this, I don't want to say temptation, um, but it's a, uh, a sense that uh, we have all of this, and these people have a lot less, and we should just give. Okay, so there's always that sense because the, the need seems 
The need seems so great. But um, what I discovered on this, this last trip is that um, because of the lack of emphasis that a lot of um, initial gospel efforts, a lot of initial evangelism, a lot of initial missions efforts in developing countries, because of a lack of emphasis on the importance of good works, like an aggressive posture in the church as God's people, let our people learn to engage in good works in order to meet pressing needs, okay? The urgency in Paul's letter should generate within us as a people hey, we need to go out and work hard in order to meet pressing needs because pressing needs are going to be there. And that's part of what it means to set in order what remains. Well, for a whole host of reasons that would require a whole different message or maybe even series, um, there has not been a lot of emphasis in Christian circles and in our evangelism and missions efforts overseas to encourage the formation of, of the financial foundations that need to be in place. And what's happened in, in, in Mozambique specifically, and I'm sure it's happened a lot of other places, this is just kind of a, a, a new in my mind, what's happened is that um, other religions, specifically Islam, has had a very focused effort in starting businesses and, and creating jobs. And so a majority of the business owners, especially in the, in the capital city and in the places of influence, are Muslim, okay? Now, that's, that's fine. They're, all peoples of all religions are going to start businesses, and they're going to have jobs for people, okay? That's a good thing. However, if you want to get a... So in this context, they're just, just describing these, some of these scenarios to me. If you want to get a job at a place that's owned by a Muslim, you have to go and ask the Muslim if you can get a job. And they'll say, you know, go talk to the imam. And then the, if, you, if you pledge to convert, they'll give you the job. And so a lot of the high-paying jobs are kind of closed out to Christians because what's happened over the decades is that most of the prominent businesses and places of, of good-paying jobs are, are kind of shout out to the believers because the Christians haven't done the work of creating a culture of work and entrepreneurship and job creation uh, so that they as a people can meet pressing needs. As a consequence, you see that, that um, there's just a lot of poverty in the churches and a need for um, a rejuvenation of, of this aspect of what it means to set in order what remains. And so, what are we doing? So, I just, I want to, like last week, we spent a little bit of time talking about Twin Cities Ministries and the work that we're doing in, in jails and in treatment programs and in aftercare with the discipleship home and some of the ways that we're meeting pressing needs in the world around us. And so, I just want to give you an example and highlight a few things. I won't spend as much time as I did last week. Um, just highlight some of the things that we're doing as a church with other, with other churches in a, in a broader uh, network. So in regard to just Mozambique, because that's where we're at right now in terms of, of helping other churches and other networks, um, 
there is the work that is going on there. So the country of Mozambique, it's about, um, I can't remember how many millions of people, but the network of churches that we're working with is about 2,000 churches, and we're working with about 1,000 leaders in the web of, of relationships that we have. We're starting with about two dozen, and then they have networks that spread. And so the desire is to kind of work throughout this. And what we've seen in this network of churches, which is why they brought Antonio, who's from Portugal and speaks Portuguese, Mozambique is a Portuguese-speaking country, a former colony, that went, um, that went Marxist in 79 after the Portuguese gave it up. So that's a whole other issue behind their financial conditions. Um, so what, what became apparent to Antonio when they invited him in there is that there's a lot that wasn't done in regard to this idea of setting in order what remains. Qualified leadership wasn't set in place, and the teaching of sound doctrine was not established in a way that could, could be founded, protected, and then spread throughout the network. So that is what we're doing there. We're helping set in order what remains. And so we're helping the leadership to be trained and appoint new leadership. We are helping them establish foundations in teaching and protecting sound doctrine through the same booklets that we're using. So all of the booklets that we use in our house churches are being translated into Portuguese in order to establish the sound doctrine there. And, and encouraging in the midst of a lot of superstition and a lot of demonic spiritual activity and a lot of religion that hasn't, become, that hasn't been Christian, but it's had a Christian veneer. We're just helping that become solid. So there's about a half a dozen churches here in the States, most of them here in Minnesota, and a few leaders and some, some generous donors, some from this church, that has enabled this, this work to start up. And there's an also a component, so we're working with a, a church. So you guys, some of you were around in 2011 when we appointed our first team of elders. Um, and uh, one of the, the leaders that uh, from a church that has supported us initially in the church plant financially. So from 2007 when we moved up here, this church down in Arkansas, Lake Valley Community Church, uh, pastor's name is Drew Dotson. So the church supported us financially in the church startup. He came up here to help us commend our first team of elders. They've got about five years of working with uh, post-earthquake Haiti. So they went and did a work in Haiti where they were trying to set in order what remains with the churches, but then they also started an entrepreneurship and business training program that has proven itself to be very effective um, in the churches there in Haiti to generate wealth from the inside and not be dependent upon Western finances. So they've, they've done some great, great work down there, and some of their work is spreading to other places through their other partners. Um, but this group is going to come in with us and go alongside of the work that we're doing with the churches to generate entrepreneurship um, and job creation in the Mozambican people. And one of the projects already, uh, one of the pastors that was there at the training in September needed 1500 bucks, 1500 bucks to start a metal fabrication business. Where's Nathaniel at? Yeah. So a brother just like you, planting churches, wants to support himself and his family, so he starts a metal fabrication business. He needed 1500 bucks to buy some equipment and to hire a few people. So you, a, a dollar goes a lot further there than it does here, Nathaniel. Uh, so two, a, a church down in Rochester and a donor from Rochester 
came up with the 1500 bucks. Antonio delivered that money in September. The guy started his business and is hiring people. He, he lives in a mud house with thatch roof, this, this particular pastor and church planner. And he pastors like five churches along this river out in the rural Mozambican countryside. It's amazing. And so these kinds of efforts are underway. And we're going to present a broader picture of what specific ways we can help. Uh, Antonio is working on the 2018 budget. We're going to have a year-end vision meeting. Instead of holding it in March, we're going to have it now at the end of the year. And I want to show you a picture of another, of another pressing need. And so this is, this is Denisio and his wife, Layla, and his son, Salome. So Denisio is 28 years old. He's a church planner in Maputo, the capital of Mozambique. And Denisio was one of the younger guys in the group. Uh, one of the church planners, there were some established pastors, and he's one of the church planners. Um, he's, a, he's a young man. He speaks up probably maybe more than he should. Um, he's very happy, delightful young man, was, was working hard at what we were doing and paying attention and contributing. Uh, I just felt some affinity toward him. But then Musa, or Musa uh, Antonio started to uh, just tell me a little bit about him. Denisio makes $100 a month. $50 comes from the church. All right, so, like, obviously, we have a context for what $50 is, but we would never consider it half of our month's income. The other half comes from, he, he has a refrigerator repair business. That's his other $100, because the church is young. It can't support him more than the $50 a month. It's 3,000 medikais. To live in Maputo, the capital city, you need 12 to 15,000 medikais, and he makes six. He makes six. And he's a church planner. He's got a young family. And so immediately I just was like, okay. And Anna had just got this job. Anna started a, a, a new job in September, because, you know, the kids are leaving, and we are now paying for college, and so, so Anna started this job, and so I'm just feeling this burden. Here's this, here's this young, I mean, I could relate to him because, you know, that's where I was at, church planning, young family, new place. He needs $200 a month, and let me show you. So Antonio showed me where he lives. So that's the picture that I got from Antonio of his house. It's a two-room house, not a two-bedroom house, a two-room house. And I thought, initially when I saw this picture, I thought that this was kind of equipment and stuff for his refrigerator repair business. Mm -mm. Some guy owns what we would call a junkyard. And in the middle of his junkyard, he built two or three apartments. And so, Denisio and his family live in a house in a junkyard. I'm not even sure that would pass zoning codes uh, anywhere in the United States. Like a, a house not on the property of the junkyard, in the junkyard. And so I called back to the family. Anna, kids, 200 bucks a month. Do you want to help support a church planner? And the whole family was exuberantly excited about it. And the kids are like, yeah, I want to put in a portion of, you know. And I'm not telling you this. I, I, was, I was hesitant in sharing with this to the, you today because I, I don't want to make it seem like I'm some great person or our family. Some, you know, that's not what I'm doing here today, okay? 
Paul told Titus to set himself as an example. Um, and I want you to know that we're committed to this. And when a need is presented, that we significantly consider it. And it's a family thing. And then Antonio was here last week. He wasn't able to stay for Sunday, which will not be the case next time he's here. Um, and he just, just told us the story about sharing with them the, the fact that, and I communicated that it was Twin Cities Church, not me, not our families. Twin Cities Church is helping this out because Twin Cities Church is helping. When you guys send me over and I'm there for a month out of a year, that's you guys supporting me, paying my salary to go preach and teach in another place and serve other people. We've had people that have given to, for, the, for the travel expenses. So it's Twin Cities Church meeting the needs of these people. And there are more needs that will come up over the years. Entrepreneurship needs, business creation needs, travel needs, etc. And we'll share more of those as we go. But these are the real things. These are the real things. Now, Antonio, he's a wise man, he went and talked First of all, to the network leaders, hey, we want to be able to meet Denicio and his family's need. Do you see him as someone who is, first of all, qualified and will be responsible? Because we're essentially tripling his income. Now, he's going to move out of the junkyard. All right, so that's a great thing. And he's going to be able to have the time to work with his church and with other churches in the capital city of Maputo. Two million people, not very many of the evangelical churches. And they affirmed this young man, yeah, he would be responsible and worthy of the support. And then Antonio went and talked to his local church leadership. Okay? Hey, this is what we would like to do. Is that something that you as a local church leadership would affirm and get behind and support? And so absolutely. So everything goes through the network and the local church leadership. And again, it's from our church. It's from our church. Timothy, excuse me, Titus addresses meeting of pressing needs and engaging good works across the entire sphere of life. Elders are engaged in the good work of preaching and teaching and protecting the gospel so that it creates and generates churches that are engaged in good works that are profitable. Right? If we as a people are not unified around the gospel and strengthened in the gospel and pressed to the mission of God, then we wouldn't be unified in these efforts. Elders play an important role. Older men, older women, younger men, younger women, children, employees, employers, all of us are engaged in good work, strengthening each other in our families, in our community, in our workplaces, in our schools. These are all good works that strengthen us. And then we see that our good works as a people, we as a mature people, uh, have the ability to engage the world with the grace and power of the gospel and the resources of Jesus Christ, not because of our works, but because of the work that God has done in us. And then this compels us to engage in pressing needs, he says, which are excellent to be engaged in good works that are excellent. So the work in and of themselves are good and worthy of our time and energy. And then the effects in the lives of people are also profitable. So we, we do things that leads to the flourishing of life. And in Christ, because he's building in us through the Holy Spirit, in Christ our works last. 
our works last. There's a lot of works that aren't going to last that are done in this world. We want works that, that last. So what keeps us good works? What keeps us from good works? First of all, unaware. Oops, did I not get that quote in? Didn't get the quote in. <laughs> Tim Keller says that the number of needs near us in our own personal circles of concern are actually quite numerous if we but open our eyes to see them. There's always needs around us. So sometimes we're unaware. Why are, why are we unaware? We're usually unaware because we're not engaged. And sometimes we're not engaged because we're afraid. We're afraid. If I'm exposed to need, <laughs> I'm going to be putting a, put in a place that I'm not sure I want to be in. I don't know if I can meet the need. I don't know if I'm going to have the emotional strength. I used, to, I used to really have a hard time going into hospitals and, and, and meeting with sick people because I just felt extremely emotionally weak and under-equipped and ignorant of what to do. Okay, Because that's, what do I do? So I wouldn't. I wouldn't go meet the needs of people in the hospitals because I just simply felt so weak. And uh, Anna, whose strongest skill is empathy, which if you look, at, like we took the strength finders, you know, the 34 things, and her number one is empathy. My number 33 is empathy, okay? I just have a hard time feeling what you all are feeling, all right? She said, George, you just need to be there. You just need to be there. And we, not, we, we, we shouldn't be afraid to go into situations where we know we're weak because we're, we're denying the ability of Christ to work in us and through us at that moment in our weakness. So don't get over your weakness. I mean, Jesus Christ was incredibly weak. Before, in the Garden of Gethsemane before going to the cross. If he would have ran away in that moment of weakness, he wouldn't have fulfilled his calling and he wouldn't have experienced the joy. He says he scorned the cross and its shame for the joy that was set before him. So we're not going to get rid of weakness or fear when we meet pressing needs. It's in the weakness and fear that Jesus... It's at that moment that Jesus is going to strengthen us to do what he needs us to do through the spirit that indwells us. I think also lack of preparing. Work is not something that we can just decide to wake up, hey, I'm going to go to work today. And get, we have to prepare. We have to be a people that are preparing ourselves to meet pressing needs. We know there's going to be pressing needs. There's pressing needs now. There's going to be pressing needs in the future. So we as a people need to be preparing for that. So we prepare our future generations for that. Our young men and our young women, we get early ages thinking, hey, you need to grow up and be sensible and to earn and work hard for your, the needs of your family, the needs of the church, the needs of the ministry, the needs of the world. This needs to be something as a culture that we are constantly engaged in. And the lack of planning. So there's planning and there's preparing. We plan for housing, we plan for food, we plan for our automobiles and all of the things that we need. We need to plan. We need to plan to meet pressing needs of people and of situations that we don't even know about yet. 
we're going to have unexpected things come up. Let's plan for those in our, in our family finances, in our church finances. So we have a slowly growing needs account in the church. Lack of planning and preparation is a gospel issue. See, we're told to be ready and to be zealous for good deeds. And the cool thing here throughout the book of Titus, we see that, remember, God promised before the ages began the hope of eternal life. A lack of planning and a lack of preparation is a focusing on the here and now. God's never been focused on the here and now. Before the ages began, God was preparing and planning Jesus Christ to give his life that we would have life to establish a kingdom under the rule of Jesus Christ and overcome the kingdom of this earth. God has been planning, God is preparing because he has been <laughs> thinking far longer and far into the future than, than we do, obviously. But we have, to, we have to get away from the here and now and plan and prepare in our hope, our hope of eternal life. See, often, too, too often, we, we put our hope in the things that are now. We put our hope in the things that are now, our immediate needs now. And our hope is found in the gospel. And again, eternal life is this dual thing. It's quality. It is an experience of the fullness of the kingdom now because we possess the Spirit. And in the, in the midst of suffering, the Spirit is able to bring joy and gratitude in us. And it's also into the future. We are pressing on towards something that lies ahead. That is our home. This is temporary. That is our home. And so preparation and planning comes from the gospel, setting our hope on a way of life now that reflects the kingdom that is coming in the future, knowing that we can experience it. And I think we have a fear that we won't meet our own needs. We won't meet our own needs. If I give too much away, I'm not going to be able to pay the bills at the end of the month. If I give too much of my time to this, I'm not going to have time for the other things that I want to do. And we see that it's just going to be too much. And so because we see this high bar of what the needs might be, we back off. And again, here's another aspect of the gospel. When Paul prays, when Paul prays that, that, that needs would be provided, he says, I pray that you would be provided uh, for by Jesus Christ according to his riches and not ours. And so what's pretty clear throughout the scriptures, both Old and New Testaments, is that those, those who are generous with time, with money, with energy are those that God sees as faithful stewards that he's going to provide more resources, time, and energy to give away more. Okay, so everything that we have is from God. If we're stingy with the things that God has given to us, then God isn't going to entrust more of what he has to us. If we're faithful stewards with what we have, okay, and, and if, I got one of the questions that are coming up here in the slides. You may not be able to meet the high bar that you have in your mind, but there's no 10% rule. There's no 20% rule. They say, hey, give. Give generously, give sacrificially, give joyfully of your time, of your money, of your ability to serve other people. Start with something. Start with what you believe God has given you to give, and then just wait. And over years, you'll see that, wow, God has really entrusted me with a lot more than I thought I would ever have 
in order to serve others with. See, that's how the gospel works. That's how the gospel works. So we can't be afraid of not meeting our own needs because God has promised to meet our needs. He's promised. He's more concerned about us than the birds. And he says he's generously provided for the birds. And so the next two weeks in the year in vision, we're going to get more into some specifics about who we are and what we're doing as a church. But one of the things is that we have to have a culture that begins with our children and extends into generations to come, a culture who, of, of people, of, of the church, of our families, where we are working hard in every possible way to meet the pressing needs that are around us because that's what Christ has called us to. That's what Christ has resourced us to do. Let me pray. Lord God, thank you for, thank you for the, the, the beauty and the riches, riches of the, and the resources of the gospel. And Lord God, we pray that um, you would help us as a people to develop that culture to where we are extending ourselves because Christ has extended himself to us. In your son's name we pray. Amen. All right. We got a little bit of time for questions.